0: Hey everyone and welcome back to the Run with Toby podcast. If this is your first time joining, I'm excited to bring this podcast to you because it's just a little bit different. Um, We're not trying to build this into the Joe Rogan podcast or any of those gigantic podcasts. The audience is actually meant to be pretty small. We've actually built this podcast specifically for our current clients, our previous clients, our employees and all of our partners. And really our goal is to really get to know the other side of Toby. So we want our clients to know the stuff that we're doing with our other clients. We want our clients to know a little bit about some of our employees and the partner agencies that we work with. And uh, I guess selfishly, it gives us an opportunity to learn a little bit more about our clients through this podcast. So I'm really excited to bring to you today uh, one of our favorite clients, in fact, uh, Diane Hartley from the Institute of Luxury Home Marketing. Um, Diane has actually been one of our longest standing retainer clients and actually one of the clients that have taken a little bit of a gamble on some of the strategies that we've we've put across to her and have been, uh, I would call, you know, Diane, not only just the client, but a friend and a partner. And we talk a lot about business and life and you know, you know, Diane's business and my business as well. Uh, so Diane, it's great to have you this morning. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you, Andrew. And I know you say that everyone is your favorite. Remember, I'm one of six children. So I <laughs> I grew that, up that's with not lost on You're me. my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. So uh yeah, no, it's it's really great to be here. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, of course. Um, so let's just talk a little bit about you first. Let's uh, get the audience to, to learn a little bit about you. Sure. So um, where are you originally from? And uh, where, where do you
1: live now? So yes, I am, like I said, the last of six children. I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Chicago. And in my early 20s, um, I left. And I, you know, highly recommend that, right? Like you think about where you grew up and, and, and it's, it's awesome. But You know, now people are moving around like crazy. 30 30 years ago, people weren't. And they certainly weren't moving to Texas uh, back then. So I got my fair share of where are you going and what are you (laughs) doing? And my first landing in Texas was in El Paso. So you talk about, you know, running into a brick wall. Going 100 miles an hour, uh, but yeah. yeah so, right. so now, really, Dallas is. Uh, I've lived in Dallas for 30 years, and and I see Dallas as you know a new city, but an old city. And so I live in the yeah. Old, I live in the old part of a new city, yep. and um, my spouse and I um, love renovating homes, and so we 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 own a 1939 home that gives us all kinds of uh, fun, but. It's how support. much is what? Yeah. Said, what
0: we <laughs> your best said. friends. Your best friends with your general contractor, right? <laughs> oh
1: my gosh! And uh, so yes, and, and so I, 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 really had a passion for real estate, just in the home part of it. Like back in the nineties, when people weren't doing that, I would do like live in a house for a couple of years, sell it, go to another house, sell it, and then then flippers came in and took that that fun away. But so when I really um, a recruiter is who found me to come to run the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing. I had, I've done a number of- From a very
0: different career from before, right? Yeah, very different
1: career. But the common thing, the common trait in my career and everything that I've done is really, I like running things. I like my hands in things. I like seeing the levers to pull, but I've done everything from startup technologies to old-line telecom and trying to bring them along into the startup uh, realm, and then I, I did this real foray into publishing, which mm-hmm. was my passion because I majored in it uh, in college. But I wound up at a very unique time working f- in the newspaper industry. Yep, because a they, very unique time. Yeah, very unique <laughs> time. When when finally, and it was so interesting because you know your past informs your future if you're paying attention. And so at that time in 2004, I walk into this venerable, old, like, you know, family-run but publicly held company that up to that point had never considered hiring people who didn't have a newspaper background. Right. And so at that time, it was, you know, really important for that business to get a shot in the arm too late, too late. Yeah. Uh, of how things are done outside of an industry. So um, I worked in the fun part, the the product development of neat and fun products that were serving an audience that I think the newspaper didn't even know they had.
0: Right, uh, Which right. was
1: the the affluence and the high net worth individuals.
0: And it's interesting you say that, Diane, because I've always seen you as a leader, as someone who I think you you have a sales focus, right? I think you, uh, a lot of what makes you tick mm-hmm. are, uh, a lot of the like, motivators of the salesperson. Right. But I think what's really interesting for you as an executive is that you get this understanding that product and marketing and sales and ops and HR, they all have to work together, you know, to, to really grow and scale a company. Right. And I think you're it's been very interesting specifically with the Institute seeing like kind of how, when you came over to the Institute to take over, you know, the company during its life cycle, you've made a number of transformations across the organization, right? Since, since you really kind of like sunk your teeth into it. Um, how would you sort of describe like the evolution of, um, like how you would approach like transforming an organization like the Institute.
1: You know, it's, it's interesting because it was a, an eyebrow raise. Like my, you know, when I did my LinkedIn update, you know, my friends were like, you're where and what are you doing? Yeah,
0: Right. You, um, you went from a newspaper, you know, yeah, went from well, a publisher to a B2B real estate company. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and
1: I did some, I did some really fun business development and professional services in between that. Yeah. Um, yep. Because, like, I still think that business in which that high-margin professional services business is really where sales is still a dirty word. And I yeah, you're you're right. You know, <laughs> I'm so was, right about that. You know, I worked. This was a, a firm that really did serve the affluent and the high net yep. worth individuals, and they yep. didn't. They did it. They did their work, um, not fully understanding exactly how they grew the business the way they did. Right, um, And so, yes, I would say that, you know, being a part of a private equity backed uh, small to medium sized business. And so when I started here, I'm like employee number 110. Right. And they're on, you know, they, the I just brought on somebody last week. I think she's employee number 1400.
0: Oh, are you serious? I had no idea that... That is where the headcount was with the company. Wow. It's not too That's that because, you know,
1: we tread along the way. Yeah, but yeah, sure, we're, sure. We're, we're over 800 people. And wow. when you think about when I started, there were 100 or less. Wow. And so, but there were these foundational things that really helped me come into the Institute. The first foundational thing was the drive to the 90-day plan. So, Um, I literally, in my offer letter, it outlines, you will do a 90-day plan for this business. Yeah. And um, for those who know me know that I push back on almost anything that doesn't make sense to me. It has to make sense to me. And Mm -hmm. so I looked at it and said, but how much will I know? And so the very interesting thing is I still go back to that 90-day plan that I wrote on probably my 60th day or my 45th day.
0: Yep, yep.
1: That foundationally, I'm still working towards doing the things that I could see back then were things that absolutely had to change. The easy ones, you know, you, you check off, but yep. around product that, yep. um, you know, we had a loyal audience and it's, mm-hmm. you know, just, just for some context. So the Institute is essentially a training and membership organization that uh, we target the ambitious real estate agent, okay? There's 1.4 million real estate agents in this country. And somewhere around 15% of those, 15 to 20% of those actually make a living at it. So there's just a lot of hobbyists. There's a lot of people who get a license because they think it might be fun or, you know, it's it's a very... uh,
0: and it's a relatively low low barrier, barrier to entry, yeah, right? Like barrier. you got you have to get some licensing depending on what you know yes, the state requirements state are different by state. And-
1: but you have people that enter the profession that say, gosh, I really want to do this. Yep. And it's I look at entering the profession of real estate somewhat like going to a college that has no admissions policy, <laughs> no career counseling, and no job placement.
0: Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so we call at, at Calibri Group, which is the, the parent company that I work for that serves a number of verticals, but I'm focused in the real estate vertical. We call the institute the tip of the spear. Because when you look at the life cycle and the career of an agent, the tip of the spear is I am a successful agent selling in the upper tier of the market. Now, you can be a super successful agent and work in the bread and butter part of real estate, but I don't think I'm, again, your past informs your future. And mm-hmm. I look at the newspaper business very differently than the average person looks at it because the the, the events that occurred that dramatically changed that were literally yeah. boiling, boiling the lobster in the water. There was no yeah. one thing, okay? And yeah. so when you pay attention to... What's really happening and the disruptors that come along that begin to just tear apart these uh, big businesses and go, well, the first one really was monster.com. The right. second one was Craigslist. The third yeah. one was cars.com. And this was the profit of those companies, right?
0: Classified ads and just, you know, Monster, lo- like local and job it, postings. When you and-
1: put a recruiting ad in the newspaper, first it cost you a fortune. Yep. And so the whole process, right? So you have the, uh, the analogy here for every business is so clear um, that, you know, if you own the whole thing, you know, be careful because the, the, the chipping is coming.
0: Yeah, right. There's, and there's many people coming to chip at many different parts of your business, exactly, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so when you look at the professional services uh, world yeah. of CPAs,
0: you know, mm-hmm.
1: there used to be a guy on the corner that did your taxes for 75 bucks. And yep. He got displaced by Quicken, or yep. Quicken or whatever, right? Like yep. the, yep. the TurboTax,
0: yep. turbo yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so, when we look at the real estate market, okay, mm-hmm. and really the common trait there is more DIY versus you know pay for someone to do it. And and what yep. I see in in the selling and purchase, you know, the selling and buying of real estate and the actual transaction. Is you just have these people that think they can do that themselves. Right. And then technology enables it. And so, but when you really think about the serious person who really is a successful professional, they're going to look at another successful professional and say, do this for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's really where the institute focuses on is on agents who understand that. And agents who understand that in order to succeed in real estate, you you actually have to move up market. Right. Right. You may begin by serving first-time buyers, which today, you know, it's a different kind of hornet's nest. But right. technology is out there trying to take the home buying process to the phone of the millennial. The agent really does have to position themselves differently. and we were called the Institute for Luxury Home Marketing, which, you know, I hate my name. I mean, we've discussed this <laughs> repeatedly. I have so much SEO and so much I know, we have these conversations it, all just, the time. <laughs> I really hate the name because it implies uh, an exclusivity.
0: Yeah, um, and we, we also have the conversation around luxury is very can mean very different things depending on a geography you're in or a market that you're in as well, right? right? And I wind, so up, there's...
1: I wind up having defi- to define my Brand with a negative, which I don't like, and it's a t- it's a poor practice. But I always say this is not the skinny jeans coastal guys <laughs> peddling twenty five million dollar properties. Right, this is the real estate agent who, in a city like Dallas, Texas, is right. is proficient at the three hundred thousand dollar home, and they want to yep. cross over that psychological barrier, be it an expressway, a uh yep. major roadway, whatever per, you know, whatever makes the three hundred thousand dollar house become a six hundred thousand dollar house, because the buyer's different and the sellers. Yeah, is
0: different. I remember we were doing uh, some videos for you, and one of the feedback that we got from one of your partners in the videos was we don't need california luxury right. <laughs> we, we don't need southern california luxury we need like illinois luxury right um and so like you know you start to think about that concept of luxury and how again it can be very different and it's kind of geographic oh, markets and,
1: and we teach more andrew our the thing that we had to get really clear on and you asked me about transforming this company and it was yeah really getting clear right clarity that We are living in a world right now where in in 2004, I bought a house for $168,000 in Dallas, Texas. No one would have inhabited it. There were no flippers. This was me coming in going, really cool lot, really, really, really bad house. That house just sold again for Mm $650,000. Now, the buyer and the seller of those homes is what the Institute focuses on right? Everybody likes to talk about luxury being a neighborhood, but it's not. It's the profile of that person and how you serve them. And yep. so in business, it's really just, right, just staying as clear as you possibly can. And you and I have had epic discussions <laughs> about this, right? Not just on our customer and the customer yep. that we're marketing to, but the core of, of who the Institute is and who we serve and what what should we be doing
0: yeah and you know i think it's been at least from an eight like an agency perspective working with you as a client it's been pretty awesome to see kind of the evolution of not only the product but the messaging behind the product how you've kind of tightened up on the value propositions and i think um you know and it's it's interesting when you when you work As a professional services firm your clients are hiring you so that they can learn from you and obviously get best practices and obviously we're doing execution strategy and all that good stuff but a lot of times we as agencies learn from our clients too right there's a two-way street there and one thing that and we've talked about this before but one thing that i have definitely learned from you is the sense of building community Right. And, um, you know, you, you recently brought in a platform, Mobilize, um, to kind of build the Institute's community, because that's a very core component of why people joining, join the membership, right? Mm-hmm. Is there's a networking community aspect to it. And I think what you were trying to do was to try and enable that aspect of the membership through technology. Right. And, um, you know, you kind of had a Facebook group to start with and there were some inefficiencies there and you couldn't do all the things you wanted to do with the Facebook group. So you kind of took it to the next step. And I've told you this before, Diane, that I actually I've always told a lot, most of our clients that I am very weary about social media as a marketing channel. I think it's a necessary marketing channel that you've got to be on, but I'm, I'm a little bit weary about the future of social media. And so, you know, one thing that we had talked about before is I actually think that the rise of these kind of like micro communities where you have really good engagement with people and on very focused topics, I think that's actually the future of social media. So can you talk a little bit about your concept of building community and why that became particularly top of mind over the last sort of like year to year and a half with the institute
1: so first and foremost um i i you know you can't swing a cat and hit some organization that is not trying to turn itself into a membership organization
0: Mm yeah and
1: for a number of different reasons right and i bucketize them into two buckets one is the annuity of the money the other is the community feeling so i got an email uh, i support locally an organization called the family place and it's for battered women and they, you know, it's the whole, right, every, every community has one. And I got the email that said, join the membership. And that to me is bucketing a cause into a community. The same thing with the human rights campaign, right? A cause that's turning into a community. And then you have this other thing called the annuity of membership, and everybody wants the money. I, my biggest competitor is the guy who says, I can write that book on luxury, and right. then I can train people, and I can have a membership. And I've you know, i learned to welcome that because of things mm-hmm. like ClickFunnels and all of the things that are out there and available for a person to succeed in giving someone Get, getting someone to part with their money.
0: Yeah, like finding someone to acquire, basically, right?
1: Yeah, in in your words, right? In my words, yep. it's I want to <laughs> write a book and I think I can train people and I could probably augment my income with a different stream of income, like all these you know buzzwords, right? But in yep. order to be a real membership organization, which is what I did not walk into and what it is today, yep. the components had to be more than I want the annuity. I want the recurring revenue. I mean, it's breathtaking when you put together, just from the business side, we're talking to business people here, from the business side, when you begin to look at lifetime value of a customer in a membership model, it's unbelievable. It's the, it's the insurance model. It's why Warren Buffett says Geico is the company that he loves more than any other company. It's literally yep. an ATM. But in order to achieve that, in, or, in really in order to achieve a valuable membership where you're not just chasing your tail with churn, you have to give before you get. And so the the membership itself has to have the value far beyond the stuff they get for it. So in our world, we define like subscription, which is I use Netflix as that example, great recurring revenue model, but I want to turn my TV on and Netflix is there. I may not watch it for three weeks. I may not watch it for three months, but I I know it's there. I'm going to pay my 15 bucks a month. I don't care if my neighbor has Netflix. There's no community to Netflix. That's a subscription, okay? A membership means immediately I understand I'm a part of something. And so, but to build that required something past what the Institute had. And so you've been along the way and done a lot of work with us on creating, actually, you know, we sort of had this vision of a place for members to go Uh that made them feel that way. And you and your team designed that experience. And today that has, you know, it's just, it was transformational to what our membership feels when they come into the fold. And then to your last point about using a nascent technology, Facebook's been around forever, feels like. Yeah. Give me a year. What? 2000? 2001?
0: Yeah, yeah. It was early, early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah, I remember I got access to it when I was in college and like one of the... We yeah. were, they just rolled it out to like college students basically. And I think that was around 2002, 2003.
1: And at the time that MySpace was out there, I was the publisher of the local community newspapers for the Dallas Morning News that were hemorrhaging yep. money. And we decided to do a community-based reverse publishing, right? Where the community used our portal to put their stories up and my editors edited them. Yep. And when I was doing my roadshow to explain what this was, I called it MySpace. Local, oh my gosh. Right? For local journalism, because the refrigerator yeah. journalism still, by the way, hasn't gone away. My kids in the paper, right. I'm cutting that picture out and I'm putting it on the <laughs> refrigerator. But so the reverse model of, of the community creating the news. And then there's a mechanism that we had as the powerful distribution model called the Dallas Morning News to put that on the doorstep of of a subscriber, right? So now we're fast forwarding 15 years. And the social aspect and the community aspect of Facebook is gone. And it is now an unbelievably valuable, beyond reason company that's just an advertising model. OK,
0: basically. yep.
1: So and that's fine. Right. Because, by the way, the purists in the newspaper business would they even they would have to admit that's what a newspaper was. Right. Right. hmm. And the whole gist of it was you surrounded advertising with content and blurred the line. It's no different. Facebook, I'm yep. telling you, I'm not in their room, but I'm telling you, that's what they're doing. OK. <laughs> so when we think about the community we wanted. For our. Niche of a niche of a niche, right? So, niche that it's real estate. Frankly, the niche of successful realtors.
0: Who want to move up.
1: Who want to move <laughs> up. So, my addressable market of that $1.4 is not large. Yeah. But the whole thing we needed to do was make them feel like they were a part of something. And then give yeah, us- Yeah, and to
0: get that LTV out of them, right? So that you, when you do acquire that- niche customer that you're getting the best, the most LTV out of them possible, right?
1: And that they are getting an experience from us that exists nowhere else. Mm-hmm. Because, yep. but, because our relentless pursuit, and you have visibility into my team and the shift that we made, um, I think that uh, the greatness just comes out of necessity. Yeah, and the necessity to we we innovated all of this during COVID.
0: Yeah, and I was I was just gonna say uh, you probably hit your your growth stride if you would, or you know started to realize some of the return on some of the investments that you had made in one of the most difficult. Years, uh, and I get, granted the real estate market is doing well and all that stuff. But you were a live classroom model yep. <laughs> when COVID first rolled around. A substantial, uh, and you know, you get you get revenue from other places like renewals and things like that. But acquisition, from an acquisition standpoint, bringing in new members, the big part of that was all classroom-based training. Yep. Right. Um, so to see you pivot from that quickly into a live stream product and obviously to push the online product um, and make all these transformations, there were a lot of you were wearing a lot of hats and there yeah. were a lot of irons in the fire. Yeah? Yeah,
1: and I also think, again, your past informs your future. And if you're paying attention, I had this sort of moment, um, actually, uh, my boss and I were talking and we were really kind of just getting introspective as to. You know, it is a blur. If you try to remember last summer, good luck. I know. Right? I know. Um, right? We were talking about it last night with some friends. And I said, the yeah. only thing I remember doing last summer was buying a new sofa. Like, <laughs> that that was the only thing that separated one day to the next. Because yeah. everything ran together. Everything was high Mach 4, right? Like, just – but but in our business – what we did was we we actually got more aggressive yep because we have a membership model and so as soon as we could see that and it took about it took about 30 days for us to see we did we took a little dip and we didn't know what it meant we didn't know what the dip meant Yep. And I'm talking about in the renewal cycle of an agent because remember I have thousands of people at any given time up for renewal.
0: Yep, on a uh, month on a monthly yeah, basis, hundreds, literally hundreds, on, a yeah, monthly basis. on a monthly
1: basis, Decide yep. whether or not to give me their money. Yep. And it takes a lot to surprise me because I like to think that I know everything, right? Who does? <laughs> but but what we saw that gave us the confidence and the shot in the arm, Andrew, was, so here you have this moment in time. And for us, it was March 13th, right? That was the day. And that was our pivot day. And trying to figure out what we were going to do. And the the acquisition, remember, our new member comes from a training. So they have to not yep. just, they don't just, they can't just say, hey, I want to be a member of that. They got to give up 16 hours of their life and $500. Yep. And that's our new acquisition model. And then we have the recurring revenue model of the membership. And so what what we did was we focused really, really hard. We accepted our fate that nothing was going to happen in the new member acquisition for 40 days, 50 days. And we said full forward frontal towards these new members or these uh, these current members. Existing members. Existing members. And the portal that you designed We launched it on March 31st. We went with a minimally viable product that did just enough, wasn't great, was actually in retrospect kind of bad, but Uh so much better. And at that moment in time, counted April 1st, we did. We talked to our membership. We sent as much learning as possible while everybody was sitting in their houses. We were in front of them in webinars and free this and free that and train on this and train on that.
0: And this is while you were still making improvements to the membership portal, right? Like it was the perfect example of building the airplane while flying it, right?
1: Yeah, well, in that iterative coding cycle.
0: That yep. You have exactly. To get
1: comfortable with as a business owner, and I was not comfortable with
0: that. And that's changed a lot, right? Because remember, our development cycles before were months and months. hundreds, tens, thousands of dollars at a time, and you know, sometimes you didn't even know what you were going to get out until the very end right? of it. And now and we're moving more towards like strong, agile, agile, like sprint, the, you know, sprint cycles and things.
1: And we did um, that, right, and that's exactly yep. what we did. But but the very yeah. thing that almost knocked me over with a feather. Was come about the April May timeframe, right? Heart of COVID, people are locked oh. down, and suddenly the people who were up for membership renewal were choosing to give me two-year membership renewals.
0: Yep, that I think when you told me that I was just
1: right. Okay, hurting the money <laughs> for,
0: longer. <laughs> for longer,
1: and so we did. We you know this whole idea, and you and I talk about this a lot about our core values and who are we as people. I am that person that I've learned to carve out think time, to carve out time to reflect, to carve out time for self-awareness and company awareness. Who are we? What is our role here? And our role is not to be one of a million companies sending an email to our people or our customers saying, we're in COVID and we've got your back. We did none of that. Yep. Yep right we yeah, we've made a very conscious
0: decision not to, not to do, do that. that
1: yeah so mm-hmm. so right at that moment when we started to see that trend that really defied logic we began to ask why are they doing that yep and then we doubled down on that and we went from a small portion of our membership giving us that two year renewal to approaching a quarter of our membership. There's nothing, there's no reason for them to do it. I mean, I think I spot them 50 bucks, okay?
0: Yep, yep.
1: It's not a money decision. It's not a
0: price thing, yeah. It's
1: it's a, and and so we get to a core value, but my core value is don't auto renew people, right? Because when you auto renew people, you're creating an experience and an interaction with you that says i can do this i mean we auto renew our subscription to netflix every month
0: yeah it's a transactional kind yep. of relationship and then you're forcing things on people in a way that it almost degrades the the relationship that you've built with them already because right. you're talking to them normally why would not you just talk to them about something that so is
1: that's what we did we talked to yeah. them in their purchase path yep. in your terms right in their purchase yep. path yep. they can choose to auto renew yep. And about eight percent of them do. Yep. So if you think about that, I get three, to almost three times the number of people saying, "Here's my money for two years," versus here, hit my credit card again yep. next year. And so that's a reveal. And and you know when when I say like you know who am I at the core of of uh, as a business person? It's that. It's I pay attention to yep. that level of detail and then ask the question why are they doing that yeah and we can do whatever we want to do by the way there's no reason why i could not default that purchase to it to an auto renew none
0: yeah right i think there's one topic that i kind of latching on to what you had just mentioned um and it talks a little bit about values right and um i think I've always seen you as not really a client, but as a partner, mm-hmm. right? And um, the way I sort of see partnerships is that you enjoy the victories together and you take the losses together, right? And you and you feel the pain together from those losses, right? Um, you know, I think one thing that I found in our relationship working together is that um you know, a core value of Toby, definitely, you mentioned self-awareness, is self-awareness. You know, it's having the ability to kind of see, like, how you as a person or how you as a company are perceived or how you affect other people and your behaviors or your actions, right? Um, You know, in working with Toby and us kind of working together, I actually think that that level of self-awareness is very high, um, between us, and uh, the reason I say that is because they're a good relationship I think with a partner is being able to speak openly about what's what's challenging you what's you know even if they're not if and they're usually not good things right um in your partnership with us um how have you sort of seen? our ability to kind of like speak openly with each other and kind of use our own self-awareness to make sure that we're getting the job done and that we're we're, we're working on the right things.
1: So you, you touched upon a lot of things there. Like first of all, um, you are an integral, Toby is an integral part of what we do. I mean, that's for the audience. Like I, we don't have the function, <laughs> right? You, yeah. You're not managing yep. an internal function. You are right. our external <laughs> sure. internal function. And so yep, what that yeah. means is, um, there are actually, as you know, changes I've had to make to my, my core team. Sure. Based on things that have been exposed yep. in the management of our functions. Okay. Yep, yep. And I'm being careful with words because it 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 was it was it evolved. It wasn't you know, and just for right full disclosure, it's not like. You came to me, or I came to you. It was like we were paying attention and said, you know, well, I was paying attention and said, yep. you know, these guys are managing us extremely well, and we're not managing them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Yep. Right.
1: If if they're, if just like I learned this a long time ago, that if two, <laughs> if two people stood next to each other and, like in the old days, uh, the dance thons and things like that. If two people are standing, leaning towards each other and leaning an equal amount of weight on their bodies, they could stand there forever. And I've always used that as an analogy of the partners that we work with because if one is carrying too much weight, it will collapse under the weight. And if right. I'm looking at my relationship with you, out in an outsized fashion, like coming to you and saying, "Hey, look, man, I I need for the next thirty days, you're going to be carrying more weight here as I yep. make these decisions." But it's all about yep. open communication. Yeah,
0: a hundred percent. And sometimes it's like I, I think you've made some org uh, changes to your org structure that allow us to be more efficient and to do better things for you. And I think you're right when exactly the way you said it It was like, Hey, I kind of feel like Toby's managing us and Mm -hmm. it might be better if we manage them, you know, so that we can get the out. At
1: least somewhere in between.
0: Right. Or, but, but the point is that I had no problem like stepping in to shoulder more of that burden, but you also saw that, Hey, Andrew's kind of shouldering this burden right now. And we may not actually be extracting the most value out of them by, by, by having him shoulder that burden, you know, and I, and, you know, that's always a tricky, tricky conversation to have with any kind of client in a professional services environment, you know, and I think, again, your ability to have that sort of self-awareness can, it, it can come to the agency and say, Hey guys, like, what if we did it this way? Or what if we did it that way? That actually improves the outcomes for everybody by having that kind of to some people, uncomfortable conversation up front, you know, so, I, and again, for the audience that's listening, you know, having external partners, vendors, agencies, you know, consultants, people working from you, I think these are all the challenges that we sort of face in having external resources plugged in internally, right? And I think you you you, you noted that very well, Diane. So, um, yeah, well, the I think- model, yeah. The
1: model that you offer is a model that just a lot of companies that look like mine and the bigger company that we have and it's more augmentation. But yep. it's not it's not staff, it's the core of what we do. Yep. Um because everything changes so rapidly yep. that we need experts. And we can't always uh hire to that. So like when I walked in the door here five years ago, we didn't have a thing. We had no mechanism to capture leads. We had no mechanism to, we had no blog. We had nothing. I mean, we had nothing. It was a very externally focused way of acquiring new customers and risk all over that, right? Risk all over that. And so what you've helped us do is identify and get more in control of this idea of using social um, and when I say that, I mean using things like a blog, right? Knowledge and and using those people to find you and convert yep. those people and evergreen and all that. Yep. I and mean, this was a this was a garage business. I mean, right. it was a, a an annuity garage business. So find, <laughs> go find those, right?
0: Yeah. Right. Well, Diane, it has certainly been um, you know the past couple of years have been you know a, a great kind of case study and how to work together and grow and scale an organization and build partnerships. You know, I I think the term partnership gets thrown around a lot and um, the kind of conversations that we have, whether they're marketing related or unmarked or not related to marketing at all, um, are great signs of that partnership. So, you know, I thank you for, you know, trusting Toby as being the experts, you know, to help you out with your marketing and sales. Um, But yeah, this has been a, really great conversation. I learned a few more things about you that (laughs) I always do when we have these conversations. And I hope our audience um, takes some value out because I think you've got a lot of really great executive sort of level knowledge across so many different industries. And I hope our audience finds all that valuable.
1: Thanks, Andrew. It's always fun to talk to you
0: thanks again for joining us on on this podcast um it was great having you for all those listening out there as i spoke about in the beginning of this podcast this is going to be a monthly podcast um it will not be uploaded to apple podcast or spotify or any of the typical podcast platforms but we will be sending out a link every month uh for a private space for you to be able to download and listen to the podcast uh, so thanks again for listening and i'll talk to you next month thanks